Tis the season to be whining. Lots of fan bases have lots of things to say. The coach and I are back. Let's get after it. This is Football Friday. Happy Friday, everybody. Welcome back to another INC Live Football Friday. It is December 15th. It has been two weeks since the coach and I have been in front of your faces. And right now there are zero people watching this, but that is okay because there is one other person on the other side, and that is the coach, Brad Powell. Good to see that face, pal. <laughs> Iceman. Uh, happy to be here, buddy. It's been it's been a long two weeks just in general, despite having to miss out on uh, doing the show. Just been a lot going on. I mean, it's the season for that sort of thing, I guess. Just the build up to the holidays. You know, when you close in on the end of the calendar year at work, you know, there's different things. You know, uh, I's that need to be dotted, T's that need to be crossed. And just with the business that I'm in, um, this is kind of a busy time of year. I kind of work in e-commerce a little bit. So uh, gifting uh, is a big thing for what we do. So that that's kind of ramped up and things like that. But no, man, it's uh, happy to be here enjoying the christmas season my kids are like prime age right now you know where they're fully immersed in all the things and i know that uh young james is right in that same range so i'm sure you guys are having a lot of fun yes young james is definitely in that range and he is jonesing to come up here as far as everybody's concerned it is 9 40 p.m on the east coast here so well past our recruits bedtime so he's going to be up here earlier rather than later but yes very much into the season. Today was his Christmas concert at his school, and it went well. It went be- it went better than I thought that it would, given the fact that it's a bunch of three-year-olds. You know how this works. So at two years old, they just kind of cried and stared at their parents. This year, they actually participated. So I thought that that was good. A very coordinated look. You saw the photos. He had suspenders and a bow tie. He was ready to go, and he participated. So it was a nice little day for him, short day, and he's been home with me following me around like a little barnacle all day long. But he's ready to go. I'm ready to go. We got, what, 10 days? Essentially nine days until the big man shows up. So I'm very, very excited and very, very stoked for sure. Yeah, we had our uh, Christmas uh, concert last last week, one day on Wednesday, Thursday, something like that. And it went fairly well. Uh, My daughter's school does a pretty good job. So she goes, her school is like pre-K through fourth grade. And it's a small school. I live in a small town. And they do, they split it on two different nights. So they do like pre-K through first grade on one night, uh, second, third, and fourth on the other. And so that's nice. The whole thing takes in total like from an hour, I think, tops, um, which is great. They get up there, like each class sings like three songs. They're great at ushering them off and on the stage or whatever you want to call it. And then on to the next and it's not too bad and this was the first time we took carver and he did pretty well because there's only so much space he has to operate in um we we i don't know good or bad probably a bad thing as parents we have not for the sake of our sanity we haven't put him in those situations very often 
And so this is something we're trying, trying to do more so he can acclimate to behaving himself. And look at that. I love the superhero mask. I don't know what happened to it, but it, uh, it is gone now. So we're going to get him all set up here. But I like where your head is at. I like where your head is at with your son because getting them to behave in any type of public realm is never an easy thing. But speaking of people who are in a public realm, do you want to show Coach Brad and everybody, all zero people that are watching this right now, what you have in your hand? What is that that you have in your hand? The Alabama football. It is an that Alabama is awesome. football because his mother's co-worker is a huge Crimson Tide fan, much like Jonah, who I wish was with us right now. And she gave James an Alabama football for Christmas. So he is ready to go for the college football playoff, which we will get to in a little bit. So, James, you are up here. Excuse me. Good Lord. James, you are up here. <clears throat> wow. James, you are up here with my phlegm and your Alabama football ready to roll. Are you ready to pick a game for Coach Brad, who you haven't seen in a couple of weeks? Hi, James. You're not ready to pick a football game? I am. Okay, you kind of shook your head there, which is the exact opposite of what I thought. Okay, I'm going to go against what I usually do here, and I'm going to have you pick a game that I think you're going to be swayed on. But I'm going to do it in a way. We'll see how it works, all right? So are you ready, James? Mm -hmm. Okay, Cowboys. Cowboys. Bills. Bills. Who is going to win? Cowboys. Okay, I figured that's what was going to happen. So we're going to do another one. And we're going to try to even this thing out. Are you ready? Mm -hmm. Okay. Ravens. Ravens. Jaguars. Jaguars. Who's going to win? Um, Ravens. Okay. So your yeah. two games are pretty solid picks. We have the Cowboys over the Bills this coming Sunday and the Ravens over the Jaguars this coming Sunday. I think those are two pretty solid picks. As you see here, you are 10-4 and four with your Crimson Tide football. Are you ready for bowl season, James? And are you going to watch the Crimson Tide play the Michigan Wolverines on January 1st, I think? Is it on New Year's Day I'm or not is sure, it New Year's honestly. or the day after? Could be the 31st, actually. That could be it. I think they don't do it on New Year's Day because they let the New Year's the New Year's sure. Six Bowls kind of have their own time to shine. All right, buddy. It's time for you to go to bed. It is late. Can you tell Brad to have good a good night? Good night, James. And we'll you see you next week. You got that right. All right, buddy. Those okay, two solid picks there by Monsieur James, I would say. Oh, those are rock solid picks. All right, picks. buddy, I love um, you, okay? Cowboys are and playing good football, you in the morning. I feel like, right now. Uh, but really, I mean, we've seen the Cowboys play good football during the regular season before in recent history. So, you know, but so we have. it's as far as uh, if they can put it together, hold it together through the postseason, that'll be the determining factor. But the NFC is tough. Their division um is well the Eagles, I guess the Commanders and the um, oh goodness, the Giants, the Giants, yeah, not great. Giants, but yes, Tommy DeVito and the Giants. We will actually we'll get to that a little bit later because we actually have a lot of NFL talk this week. We're kind of pushing and and moving toward NFL now because the college football playoff has been determined, and that's where we're going to start. We're a little bit late on that, I would say, because I think that the outrage took place. A week after we actually did our last show because we just couldn't make it happen with me traveling up north to visit my folks and all that kind of stuff. So we're a little bit late to this. So I'm sure that everybody has gotten all their outrage out. I'm sure that nobody is upset about what has taken place. But to the gist of it is that the college football committee did they, they did a thing. 
and they had a tough choice to make, and they picked Michigan, Washington, Texas, and Alabama as their top four for the college football playoff. Noticeably absent from this were Florida State, who finished 13-0, winning the ACC, an undefeated regular season, undefeated postseason, at least in terms of the conference championship, and they were left out of the playoff, and that has been the biggest talking point. I think it's still being talked about. If you go on X, you see a lot of Florida State fans chirping about it, and we have not had a chance to discuss it. We have certainly bantered about it offline, and I think we are in agreement on it, but I think our agreement, as in you and I, is a major disagreement from what most people are saying about this. So let's get into it because it's probably going to be divisive and get us hopefully a ton of followers. Oh, I'm sure that'll happen. And, and I do want to say, I, I apologize if I seem a little distracted over the next few minutes. Uh, the Braves are taking on Cleveland State tonight, and I got them on a, my the ESPN app on my phone here in front of me, and they're they're up by four with just under four minutes to go um, in Peoria. My dad is there, which is why he is not in the chat. But, um, no, hopefully they can hold on. They need a win. But, anyways, yes, the college football playoff, I think that the committee did the right thing. And uh, the reason I think that is we said this leading up to it. It should be the four best teams, not the four most deserving teams. Now, I understand. Like, Florida State has every right to be upset about it. I don't fault them for being mad. I don't fault. It sucks. I mean, it does suck that this that someone had to be left out. Uh, and I would argue that there are two teams between Florida State and Georgia that, Georgia that were left out that could make a strong case for the fact they should be in there. And I think you could even make an argument that if the committee really was going to put the four best teams in, that Georgia should have been in there as well. And I think the reason that didn't happen was the moment you took Alabama, you couldn't leave Texas out at that point because they had a head-to-head. And even though it was week one, it matters. And so, and Texas was playing pretty well down the stretch. They had a statement win in the Big 12 championship game. They did, they took care of their business. They did what they needed to do. And really, the biggest thing that's eye popping to me is just look at the strength of schedule difference um, between Florida State and Alabama and Texas. It's, it's vast. And that's not Florida State's fault, per se. Um, you know, it, you know, LSU wasn't terrible, but LSU didn't have as good of a season as they could have had or some predicted them to have. Uh, the ACC in general just wasn't super strong. You know, Clemson was down uh, from what we're used to. You know, Louisville had a good season, but, you know, they you know couldn't put it together when it mattered there at the end against Florida State uh, to get the job done. And then, you know, Duke fell off when Riley Leonard got banged up. So it's just they didn't have really any impressive wins. Their most impressive win was them them week one against lsu and uh ellis the way lsu played throughout the season kind of kept diminishing the quality of that win so i i have no issue with them being upset about it but i think that the committee absolutely did the right thing and i think that the the haters or the people that are really fired up about it fall into one of three camps either they are a florida state fan which again if you are totally understanding being pissed about it makes sense okay um they are an SEC hater because there's I've seen a ton of that. Oh, they couldn't leave the SEC out. You know, it's all about money, blah, blah, blah. Um, and that one I think is stupid, but I get that there's a large number of people that just flat out hate the SEC. So whatever. And then the third one is just sure. a camp of people who, you know, the it's not fair crowd. Um, that's that's kind of a, I don't like that argument in any scenario, really. 
because you know i've always said fair doesn't mean equal and you know what's is is it fair or is it is it not right you know because i think that not to rehash what i've already said that they got the four best teams in there and it sucks and also the fact that the the playoff committee literally has it built in to their process to take into consideration uh the roster and any uh, prominent players that may be injured and not participating in the game like it's literally in their process in black and white written out that that's something they can consider and i think in this situation it was imperative that that was in there because that really was the biggest deciding factor in the situation i think that if um the quarterback's not injured then even with their lousy strength of schedule then i think they probably get in um it's hard to say but I don't know. It's just I, I don't I get some of the outrage from fans, Florida State fans specifically, but I think at the end of the day, again, committee did the right thing. I think that the committee is in a really tough spot. And the thing is, is that the NCAA has put themselves in this position, in my opinion, because when you're trying to pare it down to four teams, not every single year is going to be very cut and dry. And this year in particular there were a lot more than four teams that probably were worthy of a shot. Even a two-loss Oregon team is still probably one of the top eight teams in the country and deserves a shot. But when you go down to four teams, nobody's going to be happy in this scenario, right? Because if you leave out the SEC champion, that's a really bad look. And you brought up strength of schedule. Now, as a guy whose team is in the ACC, I've been watching the ACC for a while. And the ACC really hasn't been that strong. Now, there have been strong teams here or there, obviously with Clemson having a great run in the 2010s. And you've had some good teams that have put up some good seasons, but nothing that has been world-beating since Florida State won the national title in 2013, outside of Clemson, I mean. And when you look at this year, it was not a particularly strong ACC. Now, the funny part is everybody wants to give Florida State the credit for, well, you can't determine, you can't give them or discredit them for who they played, but man, everybody's on the Notre Dame train for playing ACC teams, right? So like that same energy doesn't go to Florida State, but it seems to go to Notre Dame. So that's one part of it that I thought was interesting. But also, I think you're right. The committee has built in a way for them to sort of get a get out of jail free card when there is an injury. And as much as I hate it, because you always... You never want to see somebody lose their job because they got hurt. But it definitely comes down to when you're trying to pick four teams, is the Florida State without their star quarterback worthy or the one of the best teams? And it's a hard decision that they have to make. But I still think that the NCAA put themselves in this position. You and I have been advocating for a larger playoff field since we started this show. We're going to get it next year. So this doesn't really matter. But I also agree with you that I think that they did the right thing. Not an easy thing, but they did the right thing. And if I'm a Florida State fan today, yes, I'm definitely pissed. How could you not be? You went 13-0. You did everything that was asked of you. The problem is, in my opinion, the system screwed you over, not you in particular. I mean, obviously an injury, but they're more than just their quarterback. That's the way I see it anyway. And a lot of people are rooting for Alabama to lose because they see Alabama as the team that shouldn't be in there. 
Well, Alabama played a lot of really tough schools. They had some really tough matchups of non-ranked schools, and they were trying to point to Texas for that too. We talked about Wyoming and some other games. But man, when you beat Georgia, who hadn't lost in like 30-something games, two-time defending national title to win the SEC with one loss, and their only loss was to Texas, who, by the way, made a statement and won the Big 12 and deserved to get in as well. How could you leave Alabama out? I, I understand money and ratings and all that stuff, but I don't know if, I mean, Florida State, in my opinion, is one of those schools that is recognizable, especially during the Bobby Bowden era, right? I get it. Conspiracy theorists all around, but I'm just a little bit tired of it at this point because if Florida State goes out and beats Georgia, fine, right? Claim the national title. But also, nobody was calling for this in 2017 oh, when it was 100%. And, you know what I'm saying? I, you know, a lot of people like to throw out there that Alabama was, you know, Auburn had Alabama dead to rights um, in the Iron Bowl. And yeah, they and, did. Then like, we, we totally both agree, agree with that. Did. And uh, But my stance on that is, but you know what? Like great teams find a way to win in those moments. And that's what they did. And it just like the folks at Florida state, um, you know, cause they, they come out and be like, Hey, I understand Florida wasn't that great this year, but that's a rivalry game, man. That ma So like in that sense, you can use rivalry game as an excuse of why it's a good win, but you're not going to use yes. rivalry game as a reason that the Auburn Alabama game was competitive. Um, you know, not sure. Yeah. I, there's there's the a lot of hypocrisy in the arguments and, and to be, I think the process of selecting the teams is you should sit there and say, okay, if these teams were on a neutral field today, you know, does, does Florida state have a chance? You know, can I, do I believe Florida state can beat team X if they were on a neutral field today, like the day they're making the selections. And if that's the question you're asking, not only are the four teams in the playoff, I think ahead of them, I think you could justify putting Georgia, Oregon and Ohio state ahead of them. If that were the case, because I, if someone were to force me to put a hundred dollars on uh, those seven teams against Florida State, like I would bet on those seven teams. You know what I mean? If someone's like, you got to bet on this game. All seven of those bets are going on the the four playoff teams: Georgia, Oregon, and Ohio State. Uh, with with confidence. I won't remind everybody. That's yeah, fine. I won't remind That's everybody fine. what your pick of the week record is at this point. And so, uh, just for everybody who's wondering that, but. The only one I would actually say is Ohio State. Maybe not. I don't know. See, that's I, the only again, one that, that's Ohio the only State one you year, could even so go. Maybe like, it's a bias eh, on my part. You know? Yeah. Oregon, yeah, I agree. But I'll tell you what, man. So shift, shifting away from Florida State. Look, Florida State is not in the playoff. And say what you want about it. It is what it is at this point, right? You're going to get your day. You're going to play Georgia, who is highly motivated. I would say even more motivated because Kirby Smart is like, wow, I went from number one to number six losing the first game in like 30-something games. So he's going to have bullets and more material. As soon as they were number six, that went up in the locker room. Georgia is going to come out gangbusters, and we'll see, right? Florida State. Well, the, the thing is, though, man, is Georgia, if they beat the pants off Florida State, people will say, yeah, but they're, they're second-string quarterback. Yes. And that's the entire argument, almost, for why, right? So there's going to be there, there's hypocrisy, a lack of consistency, that's all that I want, right, is consistency in your argument. And here there is not that. And we're going to get to something else a little bit later that has the same problem. But when we look at this playoff field, you saw the video. Many people saw the video. Michigan, when they found out they were playing Alabama, oh, man. not the reaction 
that other teams had. And I'm not saying that that's indicative that they're afraid of Alabama, but they were hoping yeah, to play 100%. a second-string quarterback. Um, no doubt. That's not a team that you want to play right now, not a team you want to play uh, in a playoff setting, especially when you're going to give Nick Saban a month to prepare. Um, and and that's a, even Tommy Reese. You know, like I've had my criticisms of the guy, but if you had to, uh, if you give Tommy Reese a month to prepare, like the guy's really smart and he's going to have a hell of a game plan in place. There's no doubt about that. I see that thing today that Oregon, or excuse me, Alabama just hired Michigan's former linebackers coach that got that got fired from Michigan just a few weeks ago or whatever over the sign stealing thing. That. Like Nick Saban's playing chess, man, and yeah, and I gamesman. I don't. He's the goat. He's great. I know people don't like him, but like the dude is a winner, and there's no denying that. Yeah, I mean, you got to give credit where credit is due. I mean, this was an Alabama team that even we said wasn't as good as years past. Now, Budge came on here, what, week three, and said we're comparing them to other Alabama teams, but nationally, they're still a very, very good football team. And what they did week in and week out is they kept winning, right? I think if Florida State had made statement wins, right, because I think the the closest comparison that I used was Ohio State from 2014 when I think it was what JT Barrett went out and Cardell Jones came in, they ended up winning the national title with their third string quarterback. Right. But they had statement wins with that third string quarterback. And the committee looked at that and said, okay, this is a team that can win and compete with this. And I just don't know if Florida State was going to be able to do that. And so obviously you're Michigan and you're like, okay, now we got to play Alabama. So now we've got to play a guy or I've got a coach against the guy who's seen everything, won national championships, not afraid. Whereas I think if Florida State gets in, this is the first kind of real test for Mike Norville, right? So now Jim Harbaugh is like, all right, I don't have any signs now, and I joke on that one. But my point is, is like, this is a different beast entirely. And on the other side of the bracket, Washington, in my opinion, is being yeah, completely Yeah, no, I feel like no one's talking about Washington. But if I'm Washington, I kind of want it that way. You know what I mean? I don't want to be. They've kind yes. of flown under the radar all year. Um, right here, man. I said I thought they were run out of steam. I thought they were run out of gas, and I thought that Oregon was going to come in and make a statement in the Pac-12 championship game. And my my did uh, that they proved me wrong. Well, let me tell you though, right? So that game kind of was a microcosm for what you've spoken to, where they came out looking great, they faded. But they weathered the storm in sure. boxing. They call it, you know, weathering the storm, where then they ended up taking Oregon into deep water and they outlasted them. They had a response for every time that Oregon kept making a comeback. Yeah. That's a sign of a good team. Yeah. Right. You said that about Alabama with Auburn. Washington had an answer every single time this season, every single time they were shown adversity. And that's what you want. And I think right now they're staring at Texas, who obviously has a lot of talent. But Texas is getting the nod because I think they're Texas. That's just my opinion. Whereas Washington beat a lot of really, really tough football teams and didn't struggle in that many football games. No, this you're, year, if you you're really absolutely think correct. About it. Um, they probably had, um, outside of Michigan, because Michigan didn't really play a close game for the most part. Uh, I mean, the Ohio State game was close, but not really. <laughs> like the issue was never in doubt. It just. Um, I think that, I mean, because we knew like Ohio State couldn't move the ball, period, and everybody knew it. And so, even though the score wasn't lopsided, the the, the issue wasn't in doubt. And so, 
uh, Washington probably had the most consistent season, I think you could say. And that's um, that's impressive when you're dealing with, uh, you know, 18 to 22, 23-year-old young men with school and just the distractions that come along with all those things to be able to have that consistency over, you know, three months, four months. Uh, not just, I mean, not even talking about the off season and the preparation that goes into things. It's really impressive. And I'm excited to watch. I think we got two great semifinals. Absolutely like must watch TV semifinals, in my opinion. And I have one question for you before I hand it back over to you. Do you think that what happened at TCU last year in the national championship game kind of like played into how they handled handled things this year as far as like listen like we can't we can't take a flyer or we can't we can't take a risk on putting a team that appears to deserve to be there in and have what happened last year happen yes i do think that that played into it a little bit and i think that that played into why i don't want to say florida state didn't get in because florida state had something that tcu didn't right tcu came in and lost their conference championship game the only loss that they had was at the end of the season. Well, Florida State didn't have that. Now, they didn't have their star quarterback, but the, the theoretically, your backup, this is not like the NFL, right, like in college. In the NFL, most backups have established themselves as a backup because they have shown that they can't be a starter in the league. Whereas in college, the guys that you have on the bench, don't forget, Nick Saban won a national title benching Jalen Hurts and putting in Tua, right? So theoretically... The backups on Florida State are guys that are up and coming who are going to come in behind Jordan Travis over the course of the next few years, and they should be at some, the idea is that they'd be ready to win a national championship right with this team. So it's just, to me, it's not quite like the NFL in that way, but I think that last year TCU lost in this game, and the committee, I think, kind of, you're right, they kind of said a little bit of a pity inclusion right now they beat michigan right they lost in the national championship game but yeah you could i was make gonna the say that, that yeah the counter argument the what I said is georgia game. would have done that to pretty much in anyone else um maybe not quite so lopsided but they would have won right i think they could have beaten they still would have beaten michigan and i think that that's just that's just the way that it was going to go last year. But I do think it makes them hesitant because everybody was using TCU as the reason you don't let a quote deserving. No, team I get think in. you're right. And it'll, uh, you know, the, the thing is, is that there's people that say, well, you know, a 12 team playoff. Now the 13th team is going to be complaining. And I don't think that that's the case. And this is why, because no one believes that the 13th team actually has a chance to win the national championship. You could make an argument no. that the fifth this year, you could make an argument that the fifth, sixth, seventh ranked teams could win a national championship this year. You know what I'm saying? Like those are valid arguments. It's like, hey, I we just need in and we have a shot. Um, the third, I mean, hell, the twelfth ranked team in the country that isn't going to win the national championship. Uh, but the re and they say, well, why do you go to a twelve team playoff then if the twelfth team is never you know is not going to win the national championship. My answer is because it's more freaking entertaining. You know what I mean? It's more football. Yes. It's more entertaining. We're going to see playoff games on campus and college football games on a college campus are the, that is the number, in my opinion, the number one sports setting across all sports, 
platforms, whatever. I college football on a college campus, number one. And we're gonna we're gonna get that with Hardarky. um the highest of stakes uh next year. And I cannot wait, man. Yeah, it's gonna be a lot of fun. And I think that people when they say or people have talked about, well, it's all about money, in some ways it is, right? It is about money. It is about clicks. It is about who's going to be viewing these games because the NCAA at the end of the day needs people to watch these games. And I think when you look at the names that have been included here, I think the reason why Washington is getting so disrespected is because Washington is not a team that people care about outside of the West Coast. But people know Michigan. They know Alabama. They know Texas. These are teams that have been perennially good and perennially have moved the needle. Florida State is a team that has had kind of a low period for the last 10 years. So I can see people's arguments, but when it comes to 12 teams, you're expanding it out to the to the point that teams get a chance because you're going to have teams that are going to buck the system with four or with a four team playoff. They were going to have situations where they were going to be in they were going to have to make a tough decision just like this year. If this were a six-team playoff even, they would have said, sure, put Florida State and Georgia in there. We'll see what happens. Because Georgia could have run the table and won the national championship. Oregon could have run the table and won the national championship. Could Probably Ole not. Miss have done that? No. Eh. Could Louisville have done that? Eh. Right? And these are teams that are getting into that Penn State? Eh. These are teams in that 12, 13 range. And yes, you're going to have teams that are going to complain the 65th or whatever it is team in the NCAA tournament complains. If they made it 102, the 103rd team would complain. You're always going to have complainer. That's why I, I have the thumbnail for this. Stop whining because like these fan bases are just whining at this point. It is what it is. Whatever the reasons are, it is what it is. And you have to kind of go and win the game. Now, for Florida State, they're looking toward next season. Jordan Travis is gone. He's already said that. Now this is a time for their backup quarterback or the third-string quarterback to get valuable reps in a super high-profile game against a super good team, and it's going to be invaluable, even if they get smoked. No, 100%. Lots of tape to watch. Invaluable. Um, as you're talking, I'm like, man, I guarantee you, because you know, this year a larger playoff it seems like it's so obvious. The situation this year like justifies a larger playoff, but there have been seasons, like last year even, where you had one team that was pretty much head and shoulders above everybody else. And it's like, why do you have to have 12 teams? So this, team's, it's, this team's going to win no matter how many teams you put in there. Sure, but guess what? Like two through twelve, those are gonna be some really good, entertaining football games and intriguing matchups that you probably would never see otherwise. Yes. And then so the counterpoint to that is like, well, that's why they play the bowl games. Well, guess what? These guys opt out of these bowl games. No one's opting out of a playoff game. You're gonna get the best version of each team. Nope. Uh, you don't get that uh in the bowl season. And I know that's something we're gonna talk about if you want to start moving in that direction, but um, you know, I think that Go outside of the the two semifinal games that are part of the college football playoff and the New York six game or the new year, the new year, six games, New York, six, new year, six, um, <laughs> the new year, six games for the most part, uh, you know, cause I know there's the Florida state Georgia game, like neither, neither team wants to be there. Um, and so no matter what the outcome is, there's going to be some sort of like, no, oh, they didn't care. This team didn't care, whatever. Um, and you're always going to have that in some cases. Well, at least currently moving forward, that probably won't be the case. But uh, the the whole aura around these bowl games has really taken on a new life, in my opinion. Uh, I know once upon a time, these games were highly revered and um, people really got into them and they were competitive and people didn't opt out. 
where now we have a lot of opt-outs because of the transfer portal. There's a guy who's leaving to go to the NFL, uh, which I understand. Um, I don't fault these people for that. And and I got to take on fan responses to some of that stuff coming up here in a little bit. But bowl season sort of functions as like the preseason now because with the opt-outs and people leaving for the NFL, transfer portal, et cetera, you're getting younger players that are getting a chance to play uh, meaningful football when, when otherwise, you know, a backup like Notre Dame, Steve, or goodness, put two quarterbacks names together. Sam Hartman is leaving. So Steve Angeli is going to start the bowl game. Now, yes, everybody knows Riley Leonard came. He's going to be the guy next year. But this at least gives Steve Angeli the opportunity to one, like prove that, hey, like I can compete and at least put myself in position to still be number two and moving forward, uh, be the starter in the future. Or if he does choose to transfer, because Notre Dame does have some very good um, quarterbacks behind him and coming in behind him. If he does decide to transfer, you've given he's had an opportunity to go out there and put his game on film, right? Like you were mentioning, and, and there's there's a lot of guys mm-hmm. across the country at various positions that are going to have the opportunity to do the same exact thing, and it's an audition for uh, a starting spot next year, an audition to put yourself on the path to starting. Or if you do decide to leave, you've got meaningful film that you can share uh, with other teams around the country to set yourself up for success moving forward, because the results for the most part, don't matter. Now, yes, like Notre Dame, like it, I want Notre Dame to win the bowl game over Oregon State because it'd be nice to get to 10 wins. You know, it's a nice round number. It's it's kind of one of those like milestone benchmark things where it's like, well, hey, 10 win season. You know what I mean? And and I think that, you know, so it's meaningful in that sense. But most of these games, who wins and loses, like a preseason NFL game, doesn't really matter. Uh, it's more about, development seeing what guys got putting guys in position to um to be successful to improve and and that's kind of i think we just have to accept that that's what it is now and that's okay that's totally okay but i think we as a as a whole as college as a college football community we need to quit pretending that it's more than that i think what makes the college game different than the nfl is that even in the middle of the season next season is on your mind when you're a head coach because you're always looking to get the next big recruit, the next recruiting class. And one of the ways in which you can do that once the season is over is evaluating the talent that you have on your current roster. And so if all the guys that are going to transfer enter the portal and guys that are going to opt out because they're going to the NFL are out, now what you're left with are guys that are probably going to be vying for spots on your team next year. And now when you look at what they have, you start putting film together, as you said. And when you're recruiting, you already kind of know what you want to recruit for anyway. I'll give I'll give you an example of Virginia Tech, right? Earlier this season, I said that I thought it was a mistake that they started Grant Wells. And I understood why they started him. He was a senior, but I said they need to get drones in there as soon as possible because they need to get him reps. Grant Wells got hurt this year. I don't know how hurt he got. I'm not here to speculate. But Drones got in and never gave up the position. And as you saw over the course of the season, obviously they had their hiccups. Whenever they played a good team, they looked crappy. But they put up 40-something against Boston College on the road. They whooped the hell out of UVA, 55-17. You saw that they were starting to put things together. This is invaluable information, invaluable experience that they have now. 
And I think the bowl games are kind of the same way because the players that are in there see the bowl game as an opportunity, right? It's a heightened opportunity for them. Virginia Tech is playing Tulane in the military bowl. Tulane was an 11-win team this year. They were a 12-win team last year. This is a talented football team. This is a benchmark for these players that are left there now. And it's a benchmark for Brent Pride to say, okay, this is what I have against a really talented squad on the other side, who, by the way, isn't at their full strength, of course, but the talent that's left is talented. This is an 11-win football team, right? You don't win 11 games not having enough talent top to bottom on your football squad. So I agree with you wholeheartedly. And these coaches, too, put yourself in a position of a guy who maybe could be close to the hot seat, right? who hasn't really delivered. Now, you're like, all right, what do I have on this team? Because next year is even more important for me because that could be my job, right? Coach Prime got a lot of shit because they only won four games. If you don't think that he would use a bowl game for that, then you're out of your mind, right? Because he was using everything that he had, every piece of information at his disposal. Matt Rule is another guy, right? If they won six games, he would have been using that to build that's how these coaches build a dynasty. That's how they get there. Saban went six and six in his first season at Alabama. Everybody forgets that. Six and six. The bowl game that they played that year probably t- told him a lot. Okay, this is what I need in my football team. And I know that I'm rambling and I know that people want tradition. It's gone. I hate to break it to people. Like it's gone. You and I can romanticize about it because. We watched in a time in which tradition mattered, right? Playing for your team, playing for the bowl game mattered. It's a business now. These kids are in business for themselves. And I know that that makes people uncomfortable, but it is what it is. You have to find the parts of college football that you can romanticize. There's still a lot to romanticize. The traditions are still there. You still have to, you have to look for them a little bit harder now, but they're still there and it's still there. But the bowl season is not that. The bowl season is prepared for next season. It's to get these guys prepared for their next move and if they're going to transfer. Because if you go out there and have a bad game during a bowl game, you may want to find yourself another squad because you may not be there. You know what I mean? So, like, I'm with you on this. I think the hang-up that people have is the tradition. I'm sorry. It's I, done. I truthfully, and I'm here to man, tell you like, that. I don't really get the tradition of it. Like, I, it, it's so weird to me that they used to crown a national champion in college football without playing a actual defined championship game it's just the most absurd thing to me because it yeah the ap would choose the, a national the, champion the press my goodness decided like, who the national could you imagine is. it's like could you imagine if we let the press vote for like who the president is you know what i mean it's like that's it like yeah like the, there's an Fake ap news. poll for who the president's gonna be and like no one else gets a a logical say in the process but i it's it's so weird uh, that that's how things were because it seems like it makes so much sense. And and this popped into my head. And I didn't get a chance to squeeze it in earlier when we were talking about the playoff. But I saw, like, several people mentioned this, but I saw a video where, like, Drew Brees was like, hey, this is really easy. Like, there's zero reason why the committee can't say, hey, listen up, emergency 16 playoff. You know, one and two have a bye. And, you know, let's play uh, Florida State and Alabama, Georgia and Texas. You guys play each other. The winners will move on to play Michigan and Washington, respectively. And because I guarantee you, you're going to be able to find somewhere that's going to want to host those two games. No problem. Uh, The revenue they would generate 
would be great. Um, I understand. I'm sure that the logistics of TV uh, present some issues uh, as far as people, you know, finding a time slot and a date and so on and so forth. But like, there's, I think there's so much money to be made in that, that like it would trump whatever else was going on. And then, you know, I think the other thing that would, which granted it's not happening, but one of the biggest pushbacks that would hold it up if they attempted to would be the, the Fiesta bowl or whoever, you know, the, you know, these people that run the bowl games that now they just lost uh, Georgia and Florida state to a playoff game would be pissed uh, because now the, their revenue is going to be down or whatever. They're going to take lesser teams. And, and that's what does suck about it. See, I think the 12 team playoff is going to, yes, it's about money, but it's already about money. That's, that's what's silly is like, it's, you know, it's just a money grab. It's already a money grab, man. Like, so let's at least make it the most logical thing we can. Um, That everything's a money grab now, right? Just get on board with it. But I just want to read some of these bold names to you for people now, because if you thought it, if you think it's a money grab now, the minor bowls definitely kind of are like when we talk about tradition, the tradition of playing in bowl games. I'm sure that had something to do because if you think about all the old bowl games, right? They're played at these iconic stadiums, which are archaic now, but like the Cotton Bowl, Peach Bowl, right? And the Rose Bowl. So like they all mattered for the pomp and circumstance of all of that. But now today we have the <laughs> Cricket Celebration Bowl, right? So I that's that's a good one. This one actually got me. Avocados from Mexico Cure Bowl. I don't know what that means. The and I'm going to read that one. The Starco Brands LA Bowl. I just LA gets their own bowl. I guess that's a that's a thing. Uh, and ironically, UCLA is in it playing at SoFi, so they just move like right down the street to go play in a bowl game. Like what what the hell is that? The famous Toastery Bowl. That would be Old Dominion, a team I've seen play in in person against Western Kentucky. The Scooters yeah, Coffee Frisco Bowl. You see what I'm talking about here? Roofclaim.com Boca Raton Bowl. It used to be just the Boca Raton Bowl. Yes. Now it's the roofclaim.com Boca Raton Bowl. It's it's absurd. Yeah. And it's like, gone, right? That's why I say the tradition's gone. I don't mean to be uh Debbie Downer here, yes, but that's that part of it's it, gone. It's over. And it's it's gonna it's moving on and it's gonna be better. And and that's okay. And like, yeah, Notre Dame, they're playing in the Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl. <laughs> like I think is I think I believe that's what it is. The Tony the Tiger. Is that Tiger. a true thing? It might be like it, I don't know if it's a Tony the Tiger Kellogg symbol or if it's a Tony the Tiger symbol, whatever. But it's like, yeah, it's, yeah that's, that's great. great. Um, it's <laughs> it's just hilarious. It is man. great. Like, um, yeah, I've heard some of those. You know what's funny though? It's Wonder not just these people bowl games, man, because like like boosters on these campuses are out of control. And and hey, if you got people that are just willing to throw their money at you, I understand why they take it. Um, but the the manner in which that they uh, they give these people something for their money is hilarious because like at Notre Dame, like Marcus Freeman is not the Notre Dame head football coach. He is the Dick Corbett head football coach. Like the, the head, the name, every coach him, the defense corner, whatever they are like sponsored by somebody. It's the such and such family defensive coordinator, the, you know, the such and such name, uh, you know, Al golden, blah, 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 defensive coordinator. So-and-so wide receivers coach. And it's, uh, it's hilarious, but again, like if people are willing to pony up money for that, take it. Well, I have been sponsored by Hershey's chocolate for the last couple of weeks because this is the holiday season. Soon to be sponsored by any type of baked good, 
and I still got this little phlegm going on, which is just awful. But before we move on to the NFL, because we got a lot to cover with the NFL, you had some thoughts on the treatment of players who are transferring, and I wanted to ask you, because you have a lot of players now who are juniors who people think are going to leave. I'm going to use Maserati Marv as one of the examples of this, but Ohio State is looking at their future without him, and they're like, man, this guy's good. By the way, should have won the Heisman, but that's another here or that's neither here nor there. Uh, Deserving, sure. Jaden Daniels, sure, right? But I was like, wow, like when you look at the guys on that list. I mean, all quarterbacks except for Marv, and uh, Marv was the only reason that Ohio State would have lost three or four games if they didn't have Marvin Harrison Jr. Man, like hundred percent. So they're looking at him leaving, and they're like, hey, how much is to how much is enough for you to come back? $20 $20 million is what they're offering him. And it's like now, depending on who you are, I mean, Marv, I think, is looking to make more money in the NFL. I think that that's probably the the the, the viable avenue for him. But, like, let's take, I know she's not a football player, but Caitlin Clark, right? She's making bank at Iowa. And she's got one more year of eligibility left. And it's like, why would yeah, I go to like, the WNBA okay. when the salaries to, are down? I know you're, I know you're uh, a... <laughs> You know what I mean? I'm a fan and supporter of the WNBA. And I'm not anti-WNBA, but I just like to call a spade a spade. And I think that if you're Caitlin Clark and like Iowa's like, hey, I'm going to give you $2 million uh, to stay. And it's like, you can take $2 million to stay and play at Iowa or take, you know, 250000 to go play in the WNBA in a, a quarter-filled arena, you know, or you can play. I mean, I, they probably draw great crowds um, at Iowa for women's basketball. Like, why wouldn't you stay in that environment for that money and be? Because guess what, man? Like, yeah. she's in the national spotlight right now. The moment she goes to the WNBA, that's going to end. Dude. Like, sadly, that's just the truth. It, it's no longer going to be a story, right? Because yes. that's, again, college sports in general. Like, there's just so much more to it. So much more, like, passion and tradition and, and everything built around it. And some of that gets lost when you move on to the pros, man. No matter if it's the NFL or major league baseball or the WNBA. So it is interesting though. Like, you know, a bag of 20 mil dude, like, and I get, you know, yeah, let's say he goes out and blows out his knee or something like, yeah, you got $20 million, but you probably could have had hundreds of millions of dollars. Had you, you know, go to the NFL and have a great career. Yes. I think in football, it's less likely to happen because of the nature of the sport. So Marv needs to go to the NFL now to, bank in on how good he is, right? He's at the height of the hype that he has because you never know if the next down is your last. Whereas Caitlin Clark could have a catastrophic injury, but in basketball, and specifically, I think she plays guard, right? She doesn't have the kind of wear and tear. Nobody's trying to tackle her right. on the court, at least not yet. So I think that there is a difference there, but you wanted to talk about transfers because obviously players have been transferring left and right uh, Dylan Gabriel going to Oregon, I think, is going to be a lot of fun. And Notre Dame replaces Sam Hartman by getting Riley Leonard from Duke, which is a huge get. But a lot of players also transfer out, too, because they're looking at the landscape the same as the coaches, and they're like, I don't think I'm going to get playing time here. I want to go somewhere where I can play. One thing I'm glad about is that they have the flexibility to do that. They didn't used to have that. They used to have to give up in a year of eligibility a little bit more flexibility now, but you specifically have thoughts, I think, yeah, on how and, the fan base is uh, One thing, too, like, real quick about Marv is, like, people are considering that he would be going on his third new quarterback in three years. You know what I mean? So it's like he, he you know, building a new rapport, all that stuff. And it's like, why would you want to go through that again? 
Uh, but yeah, going into, I was like triggered the other day, man. And like, there's just a lot going on as a Notre Dame fan. And I'm sure it's happening across the country. There's a lot going on. And you just, the reactions that are coming from the fan bases are just absurd, man. Like I get passion, but it's just the, the way that people react and respond to these things. I saw when Sam Hartman announced, you know, he, he made this nice video and stuff. And like, by all accounts, Sam Hartman's a great human being. He's fully embraced the whole Notre Dame thing. Uh, you know, he didn't have a great season, but like it wasn't for lack of trying. And, you know, I don't think you can question his character or his effort. And, you know, so he says he's leaving and so or opting out of the bowl game. That's what it is. Not like he's trained. He's going to the NFL or going to go in the draft and hopefully be like a great backup quarterback or something for 10 years. But he opted out of the bowl game and I saw someone post a picture and it was a picture of Sam Hartman in the Notre Dame uniform and it had a circle with a line through it over the C on his jersey for captain. And I'm like, are you serious? It it just it triggers me so much because I just want to be like, so tell me this. Like, you've never quit a job. You've never made a commitment to somebody and then, like, backed out of it or, like, went a different direction for some reason or another. Like, you've literally, like, honored your – and I wouldn't take say that Sam Hartman's not honoring his word or honoring his commitment by doing this. Like, I don't think that at all. But, like, most people at some point in time in their lives have – made a commitment to something and then not followed through with it. You know what I mean? And unless you are absolutely perfect in that aspect, like you have no room at all to be pointing a finger at anybody. And especially a guy that seems like one of the most likable people that you could ever want to be around seems to do things the right way. He's positive. Like I said, he embraced the Notre Dame thing. Like he could have come in this year and been like, listen, I'm just here to get through this season cash in. But like he, he behaved as if he'd been at Notre Dame for four seasons, you know, like he really took it all in man. And was, was all in on Notre Dame. And I love that. So it frustrates the hell out of me that people sit there just like that, man, and throw these guys under the bus. I don't think it's fair at all. Fair. There you go. Um, it just seems so absurd. Drew, what's up, buddy? Uh, good to see you stopping in. And Joe and I saw you uh, said hi earlier. Glad you guys stopped by, but yeah, and there's so many other things. Like, you know, I get on this message board I've told you about. I read through the stuff these people say, and it's just the most infuriating stuff that I've ever read. Like, I have to just walk away. I, I'm proud of myself. I told you. I'm proud of myself that I didn't engage with these people because I was like, I wanted to so bad, but I'm like, you know what? This is what, this is what stupid people do. They drag you down to their level and beat you with experience. So I'm just going to walk away. But this is what we've talked about before, about the toxic nature of fandom and the toxic nature of how many fans feel that the team, the players, owe something to them personally, right? So Sam Hartman, you say that he's not a captain of this team. That's, that's a total horseshit. And we both know this, right? Because this is a meaningless game. You might think it's meaningful. It's meaningful for next season, which, by the way, Sam right. Hartman is not going to be a part of because he's not going to be on this team. He can't be on this team, right? There's no way that he can be on this team. 
So what is he looking at? And what are players like Sam Hartman looking at? They're looking at the future the same way as what Marcus Freeman should be doing. Let's hope that he's doing that, and he's looking for that running back to give the ball to on first and 10 next season. But they're looking to the future. Sam Hartman is closer to the end of his career than he is the beginning of his career. He's played a lot of football over his time. So if he can save himself potential injury risk, he's going to do that. And every other player is going to do that. Now these players, or excuse me, these fans who are saying this, they've never actually sacrificed anything in their life this way. And I can say that I've never done that. But I'm also not going to judge these players for this type of thing because they don't owe anything to us. Right, They owe it to the university, and I think that Sam Hartman has given to the university. I think that by even going there in the first place, he gave something to the university. And how much more value are they going to get out of him? What is he going to get, and what is Marcus Freeman going to get out of winning yeah. that bowl? No, I mean, nothing. And, and there's a lot Absolutely more to gain by playing the, the two young guys. Um, and I don't even know if they'll play both of them. I hope they do. Uh, but there's a lot more value to gain from that. And to see where they're at, even if you know you got Leonard coming in, like you'd like you'd like to know that you've got somebody that's a solid, reliable backup that you can count on. And we saw Steve Angeli a little bit this year, but not in meaningful minutes. You know, I mean, it was garbage time, and so it's uh, <clears throat> it'll be. I it just pisses me off, truthfully. I mean, because like Audric Estime, you know, he's he he could have came back if he wanted to. He's leaving to go to the NFL. And uh, another interesting thing about Notre Dame is, and, and this says a lot about Notre Dame in multiple ways, two different, two very different ways. Drew Pine and Tyler Buckner are both returning to Notre Dame this season to finish out their degrees. Tyler Buckner is going to play lacrosse. Drew Pine is not going to participate in any sports. So the two quarterbacks Notre Dame had on their roster last season are no longer even playing the sport of football. <laughs> Um, so what's that say about the fact that those were the, their two best options last year? Uh, and Buckner got hurt obviously, but, uh, but what's that say about the school, man, that, I mean, and that's not something anybody really argues about or debates. Everybody knows it's a great school, but you know, you know these guys are coming back to finish their Notre Dame degrees because that piece of paper means a lot. Um, and especially the Notre Dame network and everything else. And, and they preach a lot of that four for 40. That's their thing. They're like, you know, the, the Notre Dame family, the Notre Dame network can take you places um, for life and, and set you, could set you up long-term way more than, than football or any of this other stuff. Yeah, that's very, very true. But fans are just irrational. And speaking of oh, yeah, irrational fan bases, now I want to preface this, right? I, I want to preface this that I don't dislike – this fan base. I actually don't like many or dislike many fan bases outside of a, a, a few. Uh, I'm softening up on Notre Dame because of my friendship with you, but <laughs> I can't speak for the rest of Notre Dame fandom. But let's move on to the Chiefs, okay? The Kansas City Chiefs are a team that we've talked about a lot over the last year or so, and they have a great quarterback, Patrick Mahomes. They've had great players. They've won two Super Bowls. Everything's great, right? They have this game against the Bills who – that was touted as like the matchup of the week. They've had some great games against each other, including one of the best playoff games ever with that back and forth matchup. And Kansas City loses this past weekend. Then they lose because of a couple of things. But what people are mainly focusing on is this offside call on Kadarius Tony. And I want to talk about this because you got triggered by the Sam Hartman thing. I got triggered by this 
because I'm watching this unfold on the internet, which is a terrible place to watch things unfold. It's like watching Doomsday. And so many Chiefs fans have been so whiny and so just unreasonable in their takes on this situation. I get it, right? You don't want the refs to dictate the end of a football game. It happens, though, right? Because calls need to be made when they need to be made. But what's pissing me off the most is that Chiefs fandom is honing in on these refs and nobody's looking at Kadarius Tony, right? Nobody's looking at him. And I'm like, this guy, not just here, but in other places too, has screwed you over in so many different ways. And Chiefs fans are starting to get toward that insufferable nature, the way that Patriots fans got for me. And I'm a Patriots guy, right? And I just got so triggered by this because I'm like, I get it, right? It's a, it's a, it's a nitpicky kind of call, and you can put screenshots all you want up of, oh, look at this guy who was offsides, this, 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 and this. The fact of the matter is the Kansas City Chiefs are a flawed football team this year, and they just can't handle it. It has nothing to do with this offsides. It's just that the Chiefs are not the Chiefs, yeah, and, and they another can't thing handle that, it. Um, you know, when you talk about these fans, everybody thinks it has, it's so black and white. It has to be one person's fault or the other. There's a lot of things that could be true about the situation. It could be true that Kadarius Tony was offsides. It could be true that the line judge didn't tell him he was offsides before the ball was snapped, which is kind of a common thing that occurs. It could be true that the overwhelming majority of the time, the official will like tell the coach and like warn him, like, hey, he's getting a little up there. Tell him to back off. Because uh, Andy Reid said, like, that's the first time he's ever seen it called without a warning of some kind ahead of time. Um, so that could be true. Um, it could be true that the Chiefs are just frustrated, man. Like, and I think that that's a big part of it. I told my dad, I said, I think like the blow up by Patrick Mahomes and stuff there at the end of the game, it was just a, a culmination of of kind of the what's been going on the last month with that team and the frustration that's built up uh, just towards the product they're putting on the field. They're obviously struggling. They are flawed, like you said, that offensively outside of Travis Kelsey, he doesn't have a lot of weapons. He's out there trying to um, do it on his own for the most part, which you can't do, man. And I think that, and one argument I've seen, I've seen people like trying, like pulling clips out of the woodwork, man, of like, what about this time when this team lined up in the neutral zone? What about this time when this team? It doesn't. You know what? Guess what? It was it was illegal then, and it's it illegal matter. this time. The difference is it didn't get called that time. It got called this time. Like it doesn't matter, you know. And I get being pissed about it. Sure. I and how often though? How often? Sure. Because people are mad, right? Because at the time of the point in time in the game when it happened, it's like how do you make that call then? You know, type of thing. But like, how often as fans are we like you need to officiate the last minute of the game the same way you officiate the first minute of the game? Especially you see it in basketball. It's like they swallow their whistles in the last minute of a close game, you know, because they don't want to make that call um, or on a hail mary and, and stuff like that. There's passing interference. There's there's a there's freaking assault and battery that happens in the end zone on hail marys, you know, and there's there's not a penalty <laughs> flag to be seen. And <laughs> right. Unless you're and the Jets. It's, it's hilarious that people want to um you know sit here they they, they want to cherry pick their their little things that they feel like they can use to justify their their position on being upset about the call. Like the bottom line is Kadarius Tony was offsides. He got called offsides. 
Um, and it was a that call impacted the outcome of the game. Plain and simple. It did, right? But I get it. But like the Chiefs, how many times have they oh, been benefited yeah. by a call at the right yes, time? Yes, dude, a lot. AFC Championship games last year. Super Bowl, right? And so this is my problem. My problem is consistency. Like, I understand your frustration. I totally get it. But Jesus Christ, the guy was offsides, okay? And I, somebody said, well, look at how many times he was offsides during the game. And I was like, maybe the refs looked and, and said the same thing. Jesus Christ, this guy can't line up onside. Why should I warn him? This is the sixth time psh, you're offsides. And everybody's like, yeah, but the play ended up being this historic thing. You don't call a penalty based off of yeah. how a play ends. That's yes, not I how agree. this and like, it's works. Like in basketball, when you see, they wait and like see if the ball goes, the shot goes in sometimes, if they're going to call a foul or not, you know, and, and that's infuriating. And it's, it's so frustrating because you're right. They've gotten, they've had so much favor, so many instances or cases of favorable officiating over the last several years. And it's funny, like someone just needs to tell Chiefs fans like, hey, like, you're not good enough to you're not good enough to get the benefit of the doubt this it year. <laughs> you know, that's what someone should say. Cause I guarantee not you like, they would blow their lid. Be mad that your receivers can't catch a cold, right? Be mad that you don't have playmakers outside of Travis Kelsey. And you're making, I hate to say this, Patrick Mahomes yeah, he's not, look yeah. mid almost, right? He's not at all. And the thing, the other thing that I want to talk about that I I think is bullshit as well, is people getting on Patrick Mahomes for what he said. Football, you're passionate. Tom Brady used to slam helmets, used to do all these things, and everybody thought, man, what a competitor. But yet with Mahomes, look, you get these guys behind a microphone, even 30 minutes, even if you have a 30-minute cool-off, like, he's not going to cool off in 30 minutes. The only thing that I wished he hadn't done was say something to Josh Allen right. in that moment, because Josh Allen had nothing to do with that. But Mahomes... Being the classy guy that he is, the next day said, hey, look, I regret saying anything to Josh in that moment because his competitors, it, it's not Josh Allen's fault, right? It has nothing to do with, with Josh Allen. Josh Allen won that game. He made the plays. The thing is, though, even with that offsides call, they still couldn't convert. There were other times in the game, and people forget about this, there are other times when these penalties are called earlier in the game sure. where it actually matters. People forget, oh, that holding call in the second quarter that actually stalled our drive that actually matters. What if you got points out of that one? It's not just at the end of the game, right? It has, and I, I just think that there's no consistency here. But I want to ask you, though, because the Chiefs, I think, are flawed. And the Eagles, too, have looked flawed the last couple of weeks. Are these teams kind of drifting toward, ooh, maybe they're not as good as we thought they were? I think it's the Chiefs more than the Eagles because the Eagles have lost to two good football teams where the Chiefs have kind of struggled against just about everybody outside of a couple of games. I don't know. What do you think? Because the NFL is strange in this way where for most of the season, we're like, man, Eagles are great. Two games in, we're yeah. like, huh. Uh, we've seen this before, right? Now, typically, I feel like the tipping point is a little earlier in the season than where we're at now. Um, but like we've seen it with, what was it, uh, Seattle a few years ago, ran off like seven or eight straight, and everybody's like, my goodness, like they are dominant, whatever. And it's like they... They might have finished under 500. Like the wheels just fell off. Now, these situations aren't that dramatic, and these teams are in a much better position record-wise that they'll be okay. But they're certainly not playing their best football at the time of year that you would like to be. And 
I'd rather be playing good football now than in September. Uh, if I were these people, now those games in September matter, uh, that it all adds up, but I think you're right though, that, you know, it's not, uh, it's not uncommon, man. Like I, I've wasn't, I feel like the Ravens have, have been one of those teams at, at some point in time, not, not too long ago where it was just like very dominant for like half the season and just like it fell apart. Um, right. The 49ers this year lost three in a row. And everybody was like, whoa, what happened? Because, and then ever since they got all their pieces back, they had guys that You think that they're the best hurt, team in the league. And now they look amazing, right? So, oh yeah, 100%. I, I, this actually gets to to something that we could talk about. Um, we could talk about a little later, but I think it's pertinent now when you ask me this question because the 49ers are, okay, so I, I've never really seen a team quite like this in my lifetime. And I don't mean that to be hyperbolic, but you have a team that is unquestionably talented, defense, offense, and then you have this quarterback, Brock Purdy, who is unprecedented in a different way. And when you look at the quarterbacks in the league now, Brock Purdy, in my opinion, has changed the prism in which we look at evaluating quarterbacks. It's kind of weird, right? Because you and I probably last year, a year ago, would have said, oh, we know who's good. We know who's not good. Or who's superstar level, who's not superstar level. And now Brock Purdy comes in, Mr. Irrelevant. Last year we gave him a pass because we're like, wow, this guy really managed the offense. They choose him for their quarterback, and this year it's like, huh, he's still managing the offense but also making these baller throws that, like, not other – like, there's quarterbacks in the league who aren't making those throws right now. Like, Bryce Young ain't making some of these throws that Brock Purdy is is making. But he's also throwing to George Kittle and and Debo Samuel and Brandon A. Oh, and by the way – Christian McCaffrey in the backfield. So, like, that kind of matters. But Cam Newton recently, I don't know if you've heard this yet or have seen these comments, but he has his podcast. I think it's called Fourth and One. Uh, His wardrobe is amazing. Cam Newton is kind of amazing as a human being, but he had this to say about quarterbacks. Jared Goff. And really, Dak Prescott. These are game managers. They're they're not difference makers. When you say game manager, I'm not asking you to go out and win the game. I'm just asking you not to lose. Not to lose the game. Exactly. That's, listen, I don't give a damn what you do. You don't have to score every time. You just don't have to throw a pick every time either. If we're going to really call a spade a spade, there's a difference between managers of the game and difference makers of a game. Let's unpack there. Yes. Um, I, as I'm listening, I'm like, okay, is it really so bad to be a game manager, a guy that doesn't turn the ball over, that makes the right decisions? Um, That's the hangup that everybody has, by the way, is the the terminology of game manager is what I think people are really like, ooh, because, you know, that has a connotation. Sure, yeah, yeah, it absolutely does. And, but it's like the things that encompass or define a game manager, like those are things that you would, if you were to ask a coach, just like, hey, like, what traits do you want out of a quarterback? Like, well, a guy that makes good decisions, a guy that doesn't turn the ball over, a guy that knows and understands the offense, but plays within the offense, all these things. Like, <clears throat> I think if you ask most coaches, like, if they wanted to, um, it's like, hey, you can take the chance on a top five quarterback, or I can give you Brock Purdy, right? Like, that caliber of quarterback. Like, and you're going to, like, no matter what happens, like, that's what you get for 10 years. So take it or leave it. Uh, now, yes, higher ceiling 
probably with the the top five draft pick, but way higher floor with the game manager. And I think, yeah, you want to win championships. And maybe there's people that believe the only way you can win championships is if you have a playmaker, a difference maker, a quarterback. But guess how you keep your job for a really long time? Win. By winning the majority of your football games. Uh, you know, look how, I mean, look at, yeah, yeah, Roethlisberger wasn't a game manager, but like, you know, Mike Tomlin's been in Pittsburgh for a long time. Um, you know, I think that, uh, oh, hell, look how long Marvin Lewis kept his job in Cincinnati uh, with Andy Dalton, right? I mean, game manager. Game manager. Uh, just win enough to not get fired. I mean, at the end of the day, um, and yeah, if you can make a run here and there, you do it. I understand why people think you have to have that dynamic. The difference between being a perennial playoff team and being a championship contender is having that difference maker at quarterback. Um, but even, I mean, how many guys have we seen that are difference makers that do it at that high of a level for a prolonged, like look at Cam Newton, man, one Super Bowl, went to the Super Bowl one time. And now what? Unquestionably great, though, right? Like, Yeah, sure, absolutely. But it's like you had such a small window of time to capitalize on his dynamic playmaking ability where you could take a um, – I mean, you could even throw, like, a Matthew Stafford in the equation. I mean, uh, you know, even, like, Dak Prescott. Like, you can have those guys for 10 years and be putting yourself in a position to compete for championships – consistently because it's like you don't have that roller coaster i would take the consistency personally um but i you're very on record with that i mean you're very consistent right with wanting the guy who can consistently win but all the quarterbacks that he named there right tua brock purdy who else did he name Dak prescott you could even throw in russell wilson right now russell wilson is playing game management football and it's winning football right now. So Tua, Dak, and Brock Purdy. Yes. What do, what do those three guys have that not every not every other quarterback in the NFL has? Talent around them. And yes, that's what I was going to ask. talent around yes, them. Yes, exactly. So they so, don't have to be dynamic playmakers. Nope. No, and as a matter of fact, what would a dynamic player look like in this offense? Because don't forget, Kyle Shanahan tried that, right? He thought he was going to get Trey Lance, and it didn't work out. They went to within, what, one throw of a Super Bowl win with Jimmy Garoppolo, who currently is injured, supposedly. But my point is, you don't necessarily need the dynamic guy in that same way that you probably felt like you used to. The dynamic guy makes up for your lack of talent in other places, right? I mean, you can look at the Eagles with Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts, I think, has a skill set that's a little bit different. Lamar Jackson, a little bit different. I think that their rushing prowess changes how you can do things with your football team. But all those guys, like right now, if 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 the Cowboys win a Super Bowl this year, it'll be because Dak Prescott did exactly what Cam Newton is talking about. Didn't turn the ball over, which has been a problem that he has had when he's had to be the guy. And they seem yeah. to have found the right mix of talent for him to maximize his skill set. Nothing wrong with that. It's the game manager. The way that he uses it is a negative connotation. People say, ooh, because you know who they think of? They think of Alex Smith. Alex Smith won a lot of football games, by the way. 
No, absolutely. And like we just talked about it, and, and Jonah maybe be is alluding to it. I just kind of catching out of the corner of my eye. But like we just talked about a guy who I think a lot of people would consider a dynamic playmaker. And his season's not going super great right now. And why is that? Why is Patrick Mahomes' season not going super great right now? Because he doesn't have the pieces around him that he's had in prior seasons. You know what I mean? And like yes. that's that's the difference. And you know, let's okay. You you mentioned Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson has not reached the pinnacle. And and he is a difference Super Bowl, maker, you mean, right? Super Bowl, yeah, you mean? Yeah, okay. yeah, yes, yeah. He is not. He has not gotten himself to that level. And and he is a dynamic athlete, perhaps the most dynamic athlete in the NFL or that we've seen in a very long time. And why is that? Why have why has he not won a championship, or or really or been to the champ, been to the Super Bowl? Well, guess what? He he hasn't had like superior offensive talent around him right i mean i don't even know who the hell the ravens running back is like it, it's almost on par with like the patriots it's like just grab a guy man like come on like and i like, was it last year they were down they didn't even have any more running backs because everybody was hurt and it was like a linebacker or something i mean like injuries it, have played a lot for the ravens over yes, the last few years big time so you can't really like it's hard for that but I, th- I think he hasn't had healthy talent around him consistently on offense. But like, if you put Lamar Jackson on San Francisco right now, they'd probably be undefeated, right? Because you take well, and I say this in this in the sense only like, got one football though. Well, no, no, I know, but what I'm saying is like, D- Lamar Jackson can produce the way that he produces without guys, right? With with, can you name a Ravens receiver, right? So if one of the guys in San Francisco goes down, then he has something that can make up. For it is what I'm saying, right? But you also like you also don't get that opportunity very often because if you have one dynamic player, it's hard to build with a whole bunch of other. I mean, shit. You could almost argue that for a long time, Tom Brady, they called him a system guy. That was the way that you talked about a game manager, right? Didn't turn the sure. ball over, did all the right things, made the right throws at the right time. That's managing the game. It's not screwing up the game. And that's one of the things that young quarterbacks struggle with. Look at Zach Wilson. Can't manage a game to save his life at all. Sure. Well, outside of outside of Tua and Jalen Hurts, uh, now we're not talking about the NFL here, but outside of Tua and Jalen Hurts, like Nick Saban has made his career out of game managers. Oh, sure. You know, uh, look at Mac Jones, right? Why was Mac Jones, uh, did he p- appear to be so great? Uh, because he was surrounded Devontae by Smith. extraordinary yes. offensive talent. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, it, it's that's the difference. Um, you have to. I I think the talent around the quarterback is more important than the talent of the quarterback. Now you have to have a competent quarterback. I'm not saying you can plug any schmuck in there uh, with the weapons that the Miami Dolphins have and get the same results. I'm not saying that at all. Sure. But I think that like. Most starting and possibly 50% of the backup quarterbacks in the NFL could produce the same results for the Dolphins that that we're seeing right now. It's possible. I think that when I look at the guys that he named, I think Brock Purdy probably for sure is a game manager in the sense that like, if he was put on a team that didn't have as much talent, he wouldn't look as good as he does right now. And he's in the MVP discussion. Tua, though, I think has 
a lot more talent. He throws a very, very beautiful ball, extremely accurate. Oh, and I'm accurate, not trying you know to I mean? discredit him when I say that at all. Oh, I understand what you mean. But, I mean, like, Gardner Minshew could not do what the Dolphins are doing right now in, I don't think, in Miami. You think that Watch Gardner Minshew mouth. could run? I'm just saying. You think that Gardner Minshew could run that offense the same exact way as Tua? I don't think so. I mean, look at what happened last year. They had to right. put in, like, Jacoby Brissett, not Jacoby Brissett, uh, whoever the hell the backup it was last year a couple of times, and they didn't look particularly good. So I think that, that's fair. That's you know fair. what I mean? So I think that I agree mostly with what Cam Newton had to say. Now, you also have to keep in mind that Cam Newton is looking at things through the prism of how awesome he thinks that he is. So there is that. But I don't think that he's wrong. I just think that, like, it's not a bad thing. People are like, oh, my God, can you believe what he said about them? And I'm like, what? These like these guys are, are winning. They're not game changers. They don't have to be. They don't have to be, right? Do they, you to Come on. Do you think that, so talking about the 49ers and Brock Purdy, do you think that if you plugged in a Lamar Jackson, per se, do you think that almost hinders Kyle Shanahan's offensive genius in a way? Do you think he needs somebody like Brock Purdy that's going to like execute his vision? And then if you had someone that's going to go off script so much, like, a, like Lamar or even Mahomes, that it would almost diminish his effectiveness as a play caller? I don't know, because one of the things that the 49ers have is extreme talent. So, like, Debo Samuel can do anything. Christian McCaffrey can do anything. You can do anything. I mean, George Kittle isn't even really, like, a possession guy the way that he used to be. He's a great run blocker, a great team. He's that glue guy. And it's like, if shit goes off script, Debo Samuel can get open, Ayuk can get open, and Lamar can get them the ball. Or, if shit breaks down, you have two Christian McCaffreys now essentially, with right. Lamar Jackson who can run and McCaffrey who can run. So I don't think it would necessarily hinder. I do think, though, that it would change a little bit because obviously they're calling plays to maximize the skill set of Brock Purdy. But the the, the thing is, is like the skill set of Brock Purdy isn't as low as we thought it was because him getting drafted last, True. right? But I'm telling you, on Thanksgiving in that Eagles game, there are some throws that he is making that other quarterbacks in this league cannot and are not making right now. So do I think that Brock Purdy is game changer? Not yet. Could he be? Yes. Right? Tom Brady, those first three Super Bowls, was not a game changer. He made the right throws when he had to. But Ray Lewis said it about, I think it was the second Super Bowl that Brady won, is one of the most influential plays that he had was like third and two. And all he did was dump it off to get three yards to get a first down. And it's like, that's the kind of stuff that your high ceiling guys don't necessarily do. Zach Wilson can't do it, but he can throw a football 70 yards. Do you think that Brock Purdy is making throws that other players in the NFL aren't making because um, they won't make those throws because they don't have the talent Maybe, on the other end of the maybe, throw? Maybe, but some of these balls are going into these windows that are like super tight. So whether you have the talent or not, you got to put the ball there. And right. he's making technically sound throws, I think, that are better than what he is advertised as being able to do, is my point. And I think that that is valid. Dak Prescott has a high ceiling, too, but we've also seen a really low ceiling. And look, look, all these guys have the same thing in common. When it looks bad, it looks real bad, right? Real bad. And Eli Manning. Yeah. A couple of... He, I'm, yeah, I, I mean, he, he would buy... Now, granted, there were a lot more quarterbacks that played the game like that back when he was playing sure. than there are now. Like by definition, now he would be a game manager. That's what you would you would call yes. him a game manager. Um, but when he was playing quarterback, uh, a lot of the quarterbacks in the NFL looked 
a lot like him. You know, they, they played the game the same way. Uh, the, the dynamic running quarterback, the playmaking quarterback with their legs was, and you had it, but it wasn't, you know, Cam Newton, for example, but it was not, uh, it wasn't as prevalent. No, absolutely not. But speaking of guys who are not game managers, Justin Herbert and the Chargers. Chargers have had a lot of talent around Justin Herbert, and they have not produced. They are kind of, in my opinion, coached or, well, their coach was more like Lincoln Riley. Doesn't care about a defense despite the fact that he's a defensive coach. So Brandon Staley finally, mercilessly has been fired after an ass-whooping last night. What, they give up 63 Something like that. Yeah, they got absolutely hammered. We, we've talked about the Chargers before. Brandon Staley, I thought, should have been fired last year after they blew that playoff game, but they gave him one more season to figure it out. It only got worse. He wasted a lot of talent, in my opinion. And Justin Herbert, to me, could be a game changer because he has that kind of talent, has already proven that he can do a lot of the things right. He's obviously put up big numbers, but the team as a whole has not produced at all. As a matter of fact, I think they have... They've vastly underproduced. So Brandon Staley is gone, man. And I think that it's it's been a long time coming. Like, it took too long, in my opinion. No, I agree. And, like, is there a, another franchise out there that has done less with that much talent? You know what I mean? Like, over the long period of time. Because think about even, like, the Marty Schottenheimer days. Like That's those true. Are Good, talented football teams, man. And they just could not put it together in the postseason. You know, yep. Philip Rivers, LaDainian Tomlinson, Antonio Gates. I mean, they had some dudes, and they could not put it together um, come playoff time. And and there was glimpses of that. With a, now, this year, the wheels have fallen off entirely. But, like, this team under Brandon Staley had shown uh, some promise, and, and they had played good football, but they just couldn't put it together consistently. And and you know this year was his opportunity. Like okay, like we we got to get it together, and that didn't happen. And it's it stinks because like you may have legit wasted like three of the best years of Justin Herbert's career or whatever, um, sure. because of because you know you made a bad hire. Yes, but I think that my opinion is that I think he lost the team when they lost that playoff game last year. Like I'm not sure that some of the most important players in that team. I don't think that they wanted didn't, him there after that. Didn't he make a, a really boneheaded like decision in that game? Is that I don't what, know, but they blew a 28 point lead or whatever. Gotcha. It was. So I like, thought, I thought, cause I know at one point in time, like we really criticized or at least, well, we did dove into a decision he made and maybe it wasn't that game. Maybe it was He's a different Mr. One. Fourth down. He likes to go for it on fourth down. He plays the analytics game a little bit too heavy handed for my taste. Like I think that there needs to be a happy medium somewhere because I'm both young and old at the same time. But Brandon Staley made a lot of bad decisions over the course of time. And honestly, when you have talent like Justin Herbert on any of these other teams that we talked about with all this talent, I mean, they had guys that were around him. And of course, injuries play a factor. But it's not as if they were talentless on offense. Now, their defense has left a lot to be desired. Their pass defense this year was is atrocious. And you saw that last night. Because the Raiders didn't score a point last week losing 3 nothing to the Vikings, and then yeah. put up put up 60-something points. By the way, a little aside, uh, Antonio Pierce, who is the interim head coach of the Raiders, deserves a shot at that job because Raiders have looked significantly better. As much as I hate to admit it, they've looked significantly better than they has. But Brandon Staley is gone, and many people are speculating because 
rumor has it that Bill Belichick is done with the Patriots after this year. Nobody's commented officially on this. Robert Kraft has not said a word. Bill Belichick is never going to say a word. Many, many, many people see him with the Chargers, and I just don't, I don't know how I feel about this. You don't know how you feel about him leaving or him going to the Chargers, possibly. Which well, I'm not going to believe that he's gone until they actually say something. Because I think he's gone. I, I think he is too. But I'm saying I'm not going to believe it because I feel like I just it's it's just like you you want to you want to hear it first, right? Like you can speculate all you want, but I think it's a mutual decision. I think that he's like, look, I can't do this here. Bob Kraft is like, I'm getting too old. I'm going to die before I see another playoff win. So. We're going to draft a quarterback. We'll start over with a new guy, blah, 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 blah. But him going to L.A., Bill Belichick is 70-something years old. Is he too old school for today's NFL? Maybe that is part of it because he did get by with, you know, the best quarterback ever for 20 years. And do you really want, if you're the Chargers, do you really want to take a guy in his 70s who hasn't shown a lot of prowess in terms of GM moves and other things and put him with a team and he's going to treat that team the way he treated the Patriots. And you know, is today's NFL player going to stand for that. Like is Justin Herbert going to be like, cool. I'm so happy being just trashed in a meeting when I had a bad game. I think that uh bill Belichick's got enough of an ego that we're going to find out. Yeah, we are um, for sure. And uh, you wonder like what, ha- what happens if a few years ago when Brady leaves, if he, if they both just, or if he would have went off into the sunset at that point in time, uh, you know what what the perception of him would be. Now, obviously, Brady still would have went and won the Super Bowl in Tampa, so you know there'd be no doubt about his greatness. But um, Belichick's greatness probably wouldn't be in question the way that it is now, uh, based on the results that he's had since Brady left. Um, yeah, man, I don't know if if Nick Saban can do it at his age with even younger players, I think that Bill Belichick could do it, continue to do it too. Sure. And because the NFL is a business at the end of the day, I don't think that players, you know, players don't really care about if they like you. They just want to know that, you know, your shit and you're going to put them in a position to be successful. And I don't think there's any doubt that that's Bill Belichick's intention. Um, You know, maybe it's more of a question of, is he, is he willing to or capable of evolving with the game? From an X's and O's standpoint, you know what I mean. Like schematically, now the game is the game is still a game of blocking and tackling, and a lot of the the base principles of the game have not changed. Uh, people are just doing the same things in a different way, um, but it it's still relevant. You still have to adjust and account for things in a different way than you did uh, ten years ago, or you know, don't no one's you know, hardly anyone's lining up in the I formation with two tight ends, and you know doing that kind of thing anymore there's there's a lot more that you have to prepare for because offensive 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 coordinators have gotten more creative uh with how they attack defenses and which is just a natural the natural evolution of the game so i don't know man is he too old is the game passed him by i'm not ready to say yes um i i don't know i don't know that i want to give any one of those receipts nope not <laughs> um, yet so not yet not yet man so We'll see. I, I, I'd i like to see him get a fresh start somewhere else and, and see if he could put something together. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to hate the guy or whatever. It is what it is. It's a business. He can do whatever he wants. So it'll be interesting to see how the Patriots move forward without him. If that is indeed what happens, 
but we are bumping up to an hour and a half here. So I just want to talk briefly about the NFL playoff picture because this particular weekend in the NFL is just about every matchup has playoff implications because there's a lot of teams in the mix right now. So in the AFC, if the season were to end today, Ravens, number one seed, followed by Dolphins, Chiefs, Jags, Browns, Steelers, and Colts. A lot of very mid-football teams in there. But, hey, it's always good when teams are in the mix, and that includes the Texans, Broncos, Bills, and Bengals. Somehow the Bengals with Jake Browning are still hanging around there, which is kind of amazing, actually. In the NFC, the 49ers, who I said were the best team, Cowboys, Lions, Bucks, Eagles, Vikings, Packers, you're going to have a team or two with a losing record in the NFC, which is interesting. So the NFC is very top-heavy, and there's just going to be a lot of mid-teams that get in there. Still in the mix, by the way, Chicago Bears. Only a game out of, or one win away from possibly being in a wild-card spot. They're like a stretch, but Bears... So ridiculous. Yeah, Bears and Giants are a stretch at 5-8, and eight, but still technically close. Rams, Seahawks, Falcons, and Saints, the entire... NFC wet or excuse me the entire NFC South is terrible but that entire division except for the Panthers is actually in it a couple of games that I want to mention I said almost all of these games Vikings at Bengals somehow both of these teams are seven and six technically in the playoff hunt Nick Mullins the Josh Dobbs experiment is over versus Jake Browning that ought to be a great game that nobody remembers but has playoff implications Steelers at Colts man no Kenny Pickett can Gardner Minshew get that big win? Colts are a point-and-a-half favorite at home. Tomlin could be in the hot seat if they lose, by the way. Broncos at Lions. This one's interesting because Lions fading. Broncos kind of rising a little bit, surprisingly, after giving up a 70-burger to the old Dolphins. But the Lions are four-and-a-half-point favorites, which is interesting because maybe they're saying they're different at home. I don't know. What do you think? I was just thinking to myself that, oh, obviously, I'm a Colts fan, and, and so it'd be nice to see you make the playoffs, but... Uh, I really think, like, especially on the NFC side, I think I might jump on the Lions. I mean, I've been on the Lions bandwagon, right? Let's yeah. not pretend that hasn't been the case. That's true. But, I mean, I might really, like, take it to another level here down the stretch that uh, college football season. For the regular season, the college football is pretty well wrapped up. I don't give a shit about any of the bowl games. So uh, I think I might really immerse myself in the Detroit Lions experience. There you go. And just when you think, though, man, a team is fading, and, and you got a team surging. Uh, I'm not, you know, I've always had people tell me, uh, more than one person, that if you see a line come out um, and you're like, no way, like that's so ridiculous, um, just trust that it's accurate and take it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the more ridiculous you think it is, the more right it probably is. And uh, I mean, we'll see how that plays out. But I like the line. I told you, I'm in, right. I'm on the bandwagon. Bears at Browns. Joe Flacco, the starter for the rest of the season. That's amazing. He's like 58 years old, but he's been looking pretty good behind there. Bucks at Packers. I have mid-teams with mid-quarterback play, so you can watch that all day long. Texans at Titans. Texans maybe without C.J. Stroud still because I think he's in the concussion protocol. He had a concussion last week, looked pretty bad against the Jets, but I think he's having an excellent rookie season. Yeah, he is. Excellent. And that's a team that doesn't have a lot of talent, so C.J. Stroud could... Maybe he's a difference maker, not just a game manager. We will see. Jets at Dolphins. I just said LOL because the Dolphins should win that game handily and continue on their rise. Chiefs at Patriots. Watch Bill Belichick win this game. Yeah, wouldn't that be something? Oh, um, I don't expect that that's no. going to happen. I mean, an eight-point favorite on the road. Mm -hmm. That tells you everything you need, you need to know about the Patriots. It certainly does. And and they flexed it out of prime time. That tells you also a lot. Thank goodness. By that, Yes. Giants at Saints, Tommy DeVito. 
Can he be the next big thing? His agent just got inducted in the Italian-American Hall of Fame, and he's making some bank off of... They have an Italian-American Hall of Fame. They absolutely do. <laughs> Joe Montana, I believe, is in it as well. There are some great names in it, and Tommy DeVito's agent is now in it as well. So I think this has been fun, right? It's just a little bit fun. Giants fans are delusional, think this is the guy that's going to take him to the promised land, and next year he's going to be a great little backup. But they're having a lot of fun. Falcons at Panthers. If the Falcons can't win this football game, they don't deserve to be in the playoffs. But look what happens when you throw and give the ball to your best players. You actually start yes. winning some football games. Amazing. Commanders stink, so the Rams should get to 500. Niners at Cardinals. This is kind of a sneaky game because the Cardinals with Kyler Murray have not been as bad as they were when they had Josh Dobbs as quarterback. So kind of watch out there for the Niners. It's a sneaky road game. They're 12-point favorites, so I'm like, Cardinals with the line kind of feeling in that game, but I don't know anything about any of that. This but. is what I was just talking about. It seems so crazy that yeah. it's true. Yeah, maybe it is. Cowboys at Bills. We're going back to the Super Bowls of the 90s. This, to me, is a litmus test for the Cowboys. They do not play as well on the road. The Bills just got a big win on the road coming back home. They need this win more than the Cowboys do, but the Cowboys need to show me that they can win a game like this back-to-back. Because they just did it against the Eagles, so they got to keep doing it. What a great game, man. Yes. Like, let's just hop in the time machine and go back to, like, 1994. I want the red helmets from the Bills. Like, I want the great, whole great, man. And then, like, it's in Buffalo in December. Like, bring hell out, yes, Bring man. out Scott Norwood. Forgive him at the 50-yard line for his his missed kick all and that time. And then the Bills lose on a missed field goal That's wide right. right. Correct. Ravens at Jags. Now, this one will be intriguing, but Trevor Lawrence, I think, is still hurt. Didn't look that great after that injury a couple of weeks ago. So the Jags are kind of in that weird spot where, like, they were exciting, but now with these injuries, they're looking like they could be fading a little bit. Ravens will probably keep that number one seed in tow. And the Eagles, I think, are going to get a get-right game on the road. Although, at Seattle, I don't know if you know this, the Eagles have not beaten Seattle in 15 years. Seriously, that's yes, crazy. It is 15. Now, they probably haven't played a ton. They played them like um, six or seven times. So it's actually really? not bad. Wow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So interesting stat there. But I feel Seattle's like Seattle's had a good run, though. They've put together a couple strong decades. Here. They definitely have. They're they're decidedly mid this year. They're six and seven, yeah. you know, and the Eagles, I think, just need this game as a get right game. So just what if the Eagles what if the Eagles turn into this year what we thought they were last year? Because like we were selling the Eagles last year all year long because we're like, oh, they're gonna you winning know, in the NFL fall off. Winning in the NFL is hard. Okay. It's just it's very, very difficult to do. And the fact that I mean, if if the Eagles finish with 12 or 13 wins with the schedule that they've had, because they're playing a first place schedule, they're a damn good football team, regardless, yeah. right? That's not fading to me. That's being consistent, but it's a harder game. They have a target on their back. Traditionally, the loser of the Super Bowl doesn't do well the next season. Right. They're kind of debunking that trend. So good for them, good for Nick Sirianni and all of that. So lots of NFL action this weekend. Please don't watch any bowl games. They start tomorrow. They go all the way through Christmas. Start watching bowl games around December 31st when the playoffs exactly. is happening. But the NFL should give you plenty of action to watch this weekend. Although, excuse me, we are getting into that weird period where there's like Saturday football. And so Red Zone is being a little diluted, which is kind of pissing me off because I need as much action at the same time. I can't do all these singular games, but it is what it is. If you want to follow us on social media, TikTok at INC Sports, Twitter at Iceman and Coach, Facebook, INC Sports, Twitch, INC Sports, 
YouTube, obviously, Apple, Spotify, if you want to listen to us, Maddie S Media Network, MattySmedia.com, right here. And that is all that we have for this week. So do you have anything that you'd like to depart, or excuse me, anything that you would like to part wisdom-wise to our loyal listener base, my man? Oh, just uh, it's been a pleasure as always to come on here and do this and thankful for those of you that popped in and hung out with us tonight. And um, no, it's been good, man. Love you guys. Thanks a lot. And looking forward to a good weekend of football. And as we close in on Christmas time. Yes, absolutely. Christmas is right around the corner, but we will continue to be bringing you at least football Friday, if not a little bit more. So I hope everybody is well and safe this week. And we'll talk to you next time. This is Football Friday. Football Friday.